Ladies and gentlemen, now hosting the Rizzo cast, put your hands together for Steven Risotto. What is happening, everybody, and welcome. This is episode number 82 of Rizzo cast. I'm Steven Risotto, and today we are joined by a left-handed pitcher in the Houston Astros organization. Uh, he made his debut this season. He pitched in 10 games. It is Kent Emanuel. Kent, what's going on? Welcome to the show. Hello, hello. Greetings. Yeah, I mean, first and foremost, we have to talk about what's going on kind of kind of with your team. Uh, you've had a front row seat to watch uh, your Astros play all year long, first with them, and now um, after your, your, your injury, you've watched them kind of from afar. Um, mm-hmm. they're moving on now to play the Red Sox in the American League Championship Series. How special uh, have they been to watch? I mean, they're fun to watch. They've been fun to watch the last number of years. I think anyone who who's in the know realizes this this lineup in particular is is very special. So so definitely uh, makes for some some entertaining games. Now, it seems like Dusty Baker has pressed a lot of the right buttons this season. Um, he's been around a long time. Describe kind of what Dusty is like and uh, playing for him. Um, I mean, Dusty, he's one of those guys that, that you want to root for. Like, uh, you know, all the players, I think j- just if you subtract the X's and O's baseball stuff, you just like the guy, even without all that. So, so I think that that helps out, um, you know, just, just when it comes to competing because, you know, teams that play for each other seem to do really well. And, and when you add in coaching staff where the players and coaches get along well, too, um, just kind of makes it makes it all go go easier. Hey, man, this is the year he's never had a championship. This would be a, an ideal year for the Houston Astros to kind of kind of win one for Dusty. That would be a pretty cool story. Um, do, do you think that there's some motivation behind the Astros and the organization after, you know, everything that's been said about them and uh, my personal opinion, it should not still be lingering. I mean, yes, the same group is still there, but they've put up with it and I give them a lot of credit. Um, is there kind of a fire that's been, you know, lit behind the Astros because of the things that's been that the things that have been said among kind of the media? Um, tough, tough to say. I feel like everyone um, reacts differently. So that's, it's hard to answer that on a team scale. Um, you know, I mean, I think there's only four players on the team this year that were on the 2017 team. So the vast majority of the guys, it just kind of rolls off because it's like, well, that, that, that doesn't apply to me. You know what I mean? So, um, so I don't know. Everyone's different. Um, you know, I feel like some guys take it to heart more than others. Some use it kind of as fuel more than others. Some like to just ignore it and be in their in their own space. And that's the best way for them to perform. So so to answer that question is a tough one. You really got to go kind of person by person on that one. Yeah, the, the best is when they boo Michael Brandley. It's like he wasn't even there. <laughs> I mean, it, it seems like the most consistent player, the most consistent at bats I've ever seen. And Michael Brantley had no part in anything and he's getting boots. So that's right. <laughs> yeah. Joe, Joe Smith was funny this year uh, when he was with us, we, you know, we'd go out to the bullpen at the beginning of the game and there'd always be a handful of fans that that'd be ragging on us extra hard. And, and he would like have a sit down every single game with these fans and be like, all right, listen, first off, we're bullpen pitchers. Like 
there's nothing for us, no science visit. Secondly, 95% of our team is new. Like you, you're, you're misplaced with what you're saying. You would like educate every fan base. So it was funny, but, but yeah, when you see guys like Brantley get booed and whatever, it's like, man, you guys, you guys just don't know. So. Yeah, no, they got to, they got to do their research first before they come in and rag on guys. Um, so you've seen a lot of these guys, I mean, come up through the system. Um, you know, you've been at the minor league, you were at the minor leagues for, a long time. I mean, what's it like kind of playing with those guys at the minor league level and, and seeing them in the biggest stage? I know maybe you've crossed paths with Correa and Bregman mm-hmm. uh, and maybe even Springer at time. Maybe Springer came up a little earlier, but what yeah. was it like kind of playing with those guys and, and overlapping with them and seeing them develop? Yeah, it, I mean, it was cool. Um, I mean, you knew early on guys like that were, were going to be great players. Um, and you know, it's kind of tricky with, with my experience. I feel like I had two waves of players. I had the wave of player that I was like kind of going up with before my Tommy John in 15. And then I had the wave after. So it was like, I was playing with Carlos and Lance and those guys. And all of a sudden I had to have surgery. It put me back a year and a half or so. And then it was like, okay, now my like second wave, you know, Bregman was, was in that one. So so it's cool watching these guys come up and then, you know, it's, it's just as cool when you're up there and someone gets called up that you'd played with too. So, so it, it's just, it, it makes it, uh, it makes it a lot more fun when, when you're in that big clubhouse and you, and you get a new player and it's like, Oh, I played with you before. And you, you're just happy for them. Cause you know that they've made it and yeah, it's exciting stuff, stuff that, uh, that I think, is kind of underrated in terms of building team chemistry as if guys have come up together. I think it does make a little bit of a difference. Yeah, no, absolutely. And the data wizards out there would say that team chemistry isn't real. And, you know, <laughs> I wouldn't say that's there's, there's nothing to that, but I mean, it's definitely a huge component on how to win games. And I think winning creates team chemistry in a lot of ways. Um, so you're in recovery from Tommy John surgery. Is this your, your second Tommy John surgery? Um, not quite. So 2015, I had Tommy John this, and then this summer I had um, a repair using the internal brace. So it's not quite Tommy John, similar surgery in the sense that it's fixing the same injury. It's just that uh, my injury this go around did not require such an invasive surgery. Mm -hmm. So knock on wood, fingers crossed, hopefully that means I'll be back playing sooner rather, rather than later. So is it is it tough at all kind of watching from the sideline? Is that is that tough? Because obviously you'd rather be there um, right now, you know, in Houston and in Boston. Is it tough kind of watching from a TV set? Yeah, for sure. For sure. No one no one wants to be injured, um, you know, and, and not and not be playing. Um, and especially now when you get to the postseason, when, you know, all these games are so meaningful and so exciting, just kind of a little little bit of extra salt in the moon scenario. But but, um, but, you know, it, it is what it is. And, and I'm just happy that, uh, you know, when I went down uh, this go around, it was, you know, with this team that I, that I have to go cheer on afterwards rather than, rather than another. So. Yeah. Hey, they're still in it. Give them, they're, they're doing it for you, Kent. Oh, um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I mean, seven seasons in the minor leagues finally made your debut this season with the Astros and you waited mm-hmm. a long time for this. Take me through kind of getting that call up and then what it means to you to finally get to the big leagues at the age of uh, 28. Yeah. Um, so I went to the 
alternate site to start this year and was there. I think I had 18 games left on my suspension. And so April 22nd, I believe was my last day I had to serve. And, and I, I knew I was, I knew I was going to get called up. Um, you know, I, I would have been called up probably, I would definitely would have been called up in 2020 um, if it wasn't for that. So, so I kind of knew I was getting caught up. I had actually packed my bags earlier that day in anticipation of getting the call, even though nobody said anything, probably, probably looking back, probably shouldn't have done that, but I was ready to get out of there and ready to play. So, so the game ends on, on the 22nd and I'm playing call of duty with some of my friends back home. And, and I look down and I see the phone start ringing and I was like, Oh, Hey guys, I got to get off. I'm pretty sure I'm getting called up. So, so I answered it and, and yeah, that was that. And I was, I was uh, driving over uh, the next morning. Luckily our alt site was in Corpus Christi, Texas, not too far from Houston. So it was an easy drive. So those friends had a front row seat to a huge moment in your life. Like, did you, <laughs> did you tell them afterwards? Yeah. Like, Hey, that was yeah. the call. Like that would have really yeah. sucked if it was like a mechanic saying your car's ready or something. So right. yeah. you got kind of no, lucky. So, yeah. I got off. I was like, Hey, I'm pretty, I'm pretty sure I'm getting the call. Like, so I, I didn't like, I didn't turn my Xbox off. We were like in the middle of a game. I just kind of set my headset down because I didn't know how long this call was going to take. He tells me like, Hey, you're going up, blah, blah, blah. And uh, they were still in it. They, when I get back on, they were like in the top 10, like they were in a, having a good game. And so I was like trying to play, like try to like hop back in and just play and finish the round. And, um, and I was like, man, no, uh, my, my head was elsewhere. I was like, man, I got to call my family. I got to call some friends. Like it's already 1130 at night. Like I got to, I got to hop. So I was like, all right, guys, I got to hop off. Like they're like, yeah, what are you still doing with us? <laughs> like, so, so um, no, it was cool. Yeah. They got the front row seat. Um, it was a pretty special moment. Um, you know, it was, it was a funny story. The, the, um, I had just gotten my second dose of the, the vaccine a few days prior, but the alt site guys got it on the 22nd. So I was eligible to get my second dose like April 18th or 19th or somewhere around there. And, uh, but the, the whole team was going to 22nd, but I, I remember saying like, Hey, I'm eligible to get called up the 23rd. I'd rather, go get it on the 19th, not on the 22nd, just in case if I have some symptoms, I'd hate to debut and be feeling like lousy because I just got my second shot. And so I guess when the Astros, the Astros didn't realize I went a couple of days early to get it. And I guess when they called Mickey Story, the AAA manager, they were asking about it, like, hey, we were, should we wait a couple of days to call him up? Like, because of you guys all got the second shot. He's like, no, he went a couple of days earlier. He's good to go. And they're like, all right, we'll call him up. So, so looking back, I was so glad I went a couple of days early. It may have cost me a couple of days if I didn't. <laughs> gotcha. First, the bags were packed early and then you, you go ahead and get the, the vaccine, the second vaccine shot. So you were, you knew that you were coming up. So that's pretty awesome. Yeah. Um, yeah. And your debut was electric. I mean, Jake Odorizzi, you know, left the game with an injury and then you come in and throw eight and two thirds only allowing mm -hmm. two earned runs. I mean, what do you remember about the out outing and, you know, kind of how did you feel? I mean, a lot of people say it's a blur. What was kind of your, uh, your story there with that first outing? Yeah. Um, well, I, I had to warm up on the field. That was <laughs> awful. Like I hated that. So, you know, I'd been battling. So I actually tore my UCL at the beginning of 2020 and I tried to just kind of, I tried to 
injections and the regular and the non-surgical rehab. Was able to get back to playing, but still didn't feel quite right. So I wasn't feeling good uh, from an arm perspective, physical perspective. So when I warmed up, it would take me a really long time. Like I would make sure every part of my body felt like felt perfect because that was the only way where my arm wouldn't bother me. So so when they when I kind of got thrust into that situation, I was like, oh crap, I'm not gonna be able to do anything other than throw on the game mound to get warmed up. This is terrible. So I was dreading that. Um, but I think the adrenaline probably balanced that out a little bit. But um, as far as the game, man, I, I was I was really thankful I came in the first, not to say I want Odorizzi to get hurt, obviously, but but um, just I'm more comfortable as a starter. I come up as majority a starter. I was built up as a starter. So coming in the first inning, I was kind of able to just go right in that mode of being like treating it like a start. And, and that's what I did. So, so happy. I'm happy it worked out that way. And that is considered a, that's considered a save. Is it not? I don't think so because um, I got the decision in the game. Mm. So I don't, yeah, I, the win, maybe I'm wrong, but I don't think you can get the win and the save without re-entering the game. That, yeah, so, that's right. Cause obviously yeah. Odorizzi wouldn't have gotten the win. So right. the win, the win is, I know it's three runs or less or three innings. You finish the game with three innings. So, um, no, that's, that's a pretty electric debut. I mean, I do have one pitching question cause I was, I pitched in high school and, you know, I didn't throw hard and I was, yeah. I always thought I was like, God, this is great. I'm going to be Greg Maddox. I'm going to be, you know, I'm going to paint the outside corner with the two seam or I'm going to back door. You know, I thought that that was the game plan when guys, you know, don't throw hard and, you know, mm-hmm. soft tossing lefty. I mean, I know, I don't know how, how you feel about hearing that label, but, um, you know, do you feel that your type of, you know, the type of pitchers like you were kind of uh, passed by a little bit in your craft? Was it passed by? Because I know there used to be one in every single starting rotation with, um, you know, that there used to be Jamie Moyer. I'm not saying, you know, you throw, you throw way harder than Jamie Moyer. I mean, <laughs> But do you feel like your craft has kind of been passed by since you don't throw 95, 96, 97? Um, uh, I'd say yes and no. I, there's certainly less guys who don't throw a billion miles an hour. Um, I think that comes from a lot of different – I mean, that's a there's a whole lot of things that go into that. Mm-hmm. I think one being the strike zone, being called um, tighter, like more accurately um, – hitters are just they just don't swing at balls really anymore like like their real their plate discipline's definitely better than it used to be um so so you have to beat guys in the zone and so usually that means you got to have good stuff so um unless you have a fastball shape that is that is really really good you're probably going to have to throw hard so um yeah so i don't know i mean i, I feel like I mean, nowadays you go through a rotation, your, your slowest guy is still going to be probably in the nineties. There's not many guys that are, that are below that cap. So, so yeah, I mean, definitely guys throw harder nowadays. That's just how it is. <laughs> no, I'd rather see guys that throw, you know, 91, 92, 93 pitch than, I mean, that's probably a hot take because some people are probably listening <laughs> to this and saying, you wouldn't want to see like the 100. No, I'd rather want to see the guys, the crafty <laughs> guys. So, um, yeah, no, that's that's just my take on it. Uh, and you mentioned, you know, pitching with the partially tor- torn UCL uh, through it all. I mean, and, and you mentioned the injections and the rehab. 
Uh-huh. How did you get to that point where like you just couldn't bear the pain anymore? Um, it was more of a performance thing. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I was able to, it, it wasn't like it was a situation where I was like on the mountains, like, Oh my God, I can't take it anymore. Right. It <laughs> yeah. was, it was quite literally like, Hey, I don't feel good. I know it's not right, but I'm still able to throw the ball where I want to at a relatively normal velocity. And, you know, I've been waiting to get up here for a while and I'm pitching pretty well. I'm going to ride it out. Like, I'm not going to, why would I stop? So, uh, but then I finally saw the performance start to decline the last couple of weeks. Like I'd warm up for the game and it's like, I couldn't, I couldn't hit the catcher's glove. My life depended on it in the bullpen. And then it was like, but that was okay. Cause once I entered the game, like the adrenaline kind of took over enough where it, I kind of like was able to, you know, just kind of power through it. Um, and then finally it started to creep into the games a little bit. Like I, I've walked a couple guys my last couple outings, which is not something I usually do. And then finally my last game, it was four straight balls at like 88. Like saw the velocity decline, saw the command decline. And it finally got to the point where I was like, okay, I can't, I can't sustain this. Now it's now my performance is going down. So we got to mm-hmm. fix it. And I asked Glass now, and Glass now looked at me like I was stupid when I asked me that when uh, I asked him this. And I'm going to ask you the same question: Do is it a regular thing? Because we don't know this from from outsiders. Is it a regular thing, like to watch the the radar gun while you're pitching? Is that like a regular thing that you would do? Yeah, um, <laughs> I would say most guys most guys do. Uh, it I wouldn't. I would say most guys they're not like checking every pitch. But you want to kind of gauge where where you're at, where things are, where things are. Um, you know, the, the radar guns are a good a good tool to use. Um, it can tell you it can tell you a few different things. So um, so yeah, I feel like most guys um, definitely look. And if not during a game, everyone's gonna look afterwards to see like to check uh, on you know how how their stuff was playing, their velocities, their locations, what have you. So. So yeah, I think I would say it's it's rare that um, you could. It's rare for a pitcher to kind of finish a game, and if you went up to him next day and asked him what he was throwing and he, and he didn't know, that would be he's probably either lying or or he's one of the few. He's the exception. Yeah. No, that's exactly what Glassnow Glass said. You either look at the radar gun and admit it, or you either don't admit it but still look at the radar gun. So like everybody, <laughs> he basically said everybody does it. Um, yeah. I guess that's, that's not surprising now. Um, a lot of us kind of on the outside understand um, Tommy John surgery, and I know you had it in, in 2015. Yeah. And a lot of us kind of, you know, have an idea on how it works. So what was the process kind of in, in getting something like that done? Um, well, and back in 15, um, when it happened, that was like, it was kind of a similar thing. Like it wasn't necessarily a case where I was like, man, I can't take this anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I just saw the performance decline and decline it. And it, and it, it got to the point. I mean, that one, that one was worse than this go around in terms of performance declining. I remember like my last outing, like essentially like getting to that, the like edge of the cliff and being like, all right, I'm just going to throw this as hard as I possibly can. And it'd be like 83 you know so 
um, in both scenarios, it was a case of like, hey, you got to fix this because you, your arm literally can't do your job anymore. So, um, so yeah, I mean, and, and in both cases, it kind of happened, kind of happened fast in the sense of once we made the decision to get surgery, it was like I was on the table within a week getting it done. So, um, but the process is, I mean, it's, it can be tedious. It can be frustrating. It can be lonely. It can be, I mean, there's a lot of things that go into it that make it challenging. Um, but uh, there's a lot of, a lot of people out to help you. So, so it's not, it's not all too bad. So now with this go around with the, you know, the, the current or the last operation you had, mm-hmm. where are you at right now in your rehab? What, you know, where can we expect to see Ken Emanuel back on a mound? Right. Yeah. Um, I'm, Currently, I've started playing catch. Um, I'm at, I'm back to 75 feet right now. Um, I'm hoping to be, I should be full go knock on wood spring training. There shouldn't be any problems there. So I think my first time on a mound for kind of a low intensity bullpen, I think is in December. I'd have to double check on that. So um, but if everything goes well, I should not miss any time next year, thankfully. Oh, that's great. I mean, just to, to have you back and, you know, I'm sure being back on a mound, especially in the big leagues would be definitely, um, mm. a really good feeling. Now let's, I kind of want to go back a little bit. Let's, let's dive kind of into your early career growing up in sure. Georgia. You know, how, how did you kind of come across your love for baseball and how did it start? Yeah, I, I like. I like getting this question because I think my answer surprises people a lot. Um, I, de- I don't have, I wouldn't say I have a love for baseball. I have a love for competing and sports in general. I grew up playing anything I could um, and it just kind of worked out where baseball was the one that I knew I could, you know, be playing at age 29. Um, so, um, so yeah, baseball was just kind of, kind of my outlet to, to, pour my love for competing and love for sport um into and and yeah so growing up in Georgia obviously a lot of baseball here um and there was there was no shortage of that so I, I had plenty of plenty of practice uh and time to in time to play to to lead up to going to you know college and beyond yeah I mean I guess that did kind of surprise me uh, a little bit um no that was a good answer though and you know I think a lot of other people feel that way um, did you have like a favorite player growing up? I, I mean, is, were you a Braves fan? I know Georgia's kind of the Braves hotspot. Right. Did you have a favorite guy? Yeah. So, um, I, I grew up when I was younger, I followed the Cubs the most. Uh, my whole family's from Chicago. That's where I was born. I moved to Georgia when I was young. Mm-hmm. Um, but it kind of led to our household being a Chicago household and, and, uh, the Cubs playing on, uh, WGN I, I could come home and from school and catch because they always play day games at Wrigley I could come home yeah. from school and catch and you know start watching the game like the third inning or so so um, so yeah definitely was a Cubs fan growing up and then kind of that kind of shifted I think when I got my driver's license and I was able to go myself to Turner Field to watch the Braves all the time um next thing I know I kind of shifted to a Braves fan in terms of favorite players I I love the Cubs team that had Sammy Sosa and Moise Salou and Derek Lee and all them um um, Braves you know gotta love Chipper I loved Andrew Jones 
I was Andrew Jones' good luck charm one season. I every game I went to, he hit a homer. It was like it was a huge streak. It was like nine games or something. I went to, he hit a home run every time I went. So, so um, yeah, I mean, both both of those teams. It was a great time to be a fan of both of those teams. They had a bunch of good players, and I felt like uh, they were always competing at a high level. And that's ironic because I think those 03 Cubs were managed by Dusty Baker. Yeah, they so. were. They were Dusty Baker. Yeah, that, that was a small, that was one of the, uh, you know, cool moments of getting called up and it being, you know, manager that, that I had watched um, as a fan, you know, a couple decades prior. And it wasn't Steve Barbin's fault by the way. In, <laughs> That's right. That was not right. his fault. Uh, so drafted, you were drafted in the uh, third round in 2013 by the Astros. I always like to hear draft stories. Tell me yeah. about kind of how you found out about the selection. Did you know that Houston kind of had tabs on you? Yeah. I, I mean, I was kind of just kind of shut out at that point. So um, I was anticipating getting selected like earlier like in the supplemental second round sliding to the first pick of third round wasn't something we had anticipated or thought was going to happen so as far as the Astros get picking me we knew they liked me a lot but I thought they if they were going to pick me it was going to be a pick like 40 something whatever their supplemental pick was um, so once that kind of didn't happen we didn't think the Astros were going to be on the table um, so and the, and the day one of the draft, when I don't know how it is now. I think it might be the same, but in 2013, the first and second round were on the first day. I think the third round started the, the second day. And so I was the first pick of the third round. It was at like noon or whenever it's the second day starts. And I was with our collegiate team in the weight room because uh, we had a super regional, either regional or super regional that weekend. So we were we were still practicing and, and getting ready for our postseason. So I was in the weight room and with the team, like didn't, didn't answer the phone, nothing, just like checked it in between like exercises, my phone and saw that I don't know, my thing was like, you got selected. So, so it just kind of happened like, just like that. And I don't know, I just, I think we were so busy with our uh, collegiate season at the time. It didn't really have, didn't really like get to sink in at all. So you weren't playing Call of Duty. I was not playing Call of Duty when that happened. That's right. <laughs> and you did not prepare by getting like a vaccination or something. That's interesting. Yes. Yeah. Uh, that's right. uh, and, you know, spending a lot of time in the minor leagues, I know the thing that we hear a lot is the living conditions of a minor league player. And it's been criticized yeah. by fans, by the players that have gone through it themselves. What are kind yep. of your thoughts on some of those criticisms? Do you feel the same way? Does something need to be changed? Because I know there's two trains of thoughts here. Some people say, well, this is the future of baseball. They need to be protected. They need to be, um, you know, nourished. Uh, not that, I mean, they just need to be treated like right and have access to regular things like, you know, nutrition and, you know, because they're eating out a lot. And then the, the yeah. other train of thought would be, well, that's the price to pay to get to the big leagues. You, know, you got to grind yeah. a little bit. So where's kind of your train of thought there? Um, I, I'm kind of in the middle. Um, I, I think it's what's frustrating to me is it's just the, the reasoning is so inconsistent when it comes to that, no matter which side you're on. Um, so, you know, they don't minor leaguers, they don't get paid anything, hardly anything living certainly if you're not a if you don't sign for a good amount of money in a draft like you're you are not going to have fun 
in the minor leagues. That's just, you can't afford to. And, you know, the reason that that teams, you know, quote unquote, get away with it is because they've found a way legally to kind of tag um, minor league baseball players as interns, which is fine. I'm okay with, with that. You know, you, I feel like a lot of people, when they enter the workforce, they work a job or two where it's, where you're not making any money, really. The problem being you sign a minor league contract, you're under team control for a long time. Um, so I hate the, I hate the idea that a team can sign someone and have control of them for seven years, paying them nothing, you know? So, so guys could deserve to be in the big leagues and don't just because of the organization they're stuck in. And I think that's, I think that's where it gets problematic. It's just, it's so inconsistent. It's like, if you want to be treated, if you want to treat your players like interns, that's fine, but there's no, there's no seven year internships out there. Right. It's, it's one and done. Like, so, um, you know, I would just like the I would just like to see things be a little more a little more consistent as to the thought process behind uh, minor leaguers treatment. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, let, let's get to kind of 2020 for you is quite the experience. I mean, yeah, there, there's no minor league baseball due to the pandemic. And then you probably thought we were going to avoid this, but we're going to get into it just a little bit here at the end. No, You're hit with this. And I'll be frank here, and I don't have to be neutral because I could do whatever I want, but <laughs> stupid suspension for yeah. DHCMT, uh, a drug that big league players are getting screwed over with randomly. Um, I mean, explain, you know, kind of the timeline yeah. of that and, and, and how you found out. Yeah, so I, I found out midsummer. Um, I think it was June 11th. I think I might actually know the exact date. I got a phone call. But um, <clears throat> yeah, I was in the middle of working out. So I, I was already under a decent amount of stress because I had torn my UCL earlier in the year and the pandemic. Like I didn't know what was happening from a baseball perspective, nor did I know if I was going to be able to physically play yet either. So I'm like, I'm all, my head's already all over the place. And um, I got a phone call during the workout. I, I missed it, obviously, but I listened to the voicemail after the workout, and it's, and it's from the Players Association telling me to, to call them back. It's an urgent matter. So I'm like, in my head, I, I thought, like, maybe I was – maybe it was a phone call about, like, my Twitter or something, like, for, for debating, debating people about, like, the players' owners' COVID season situation. It's always fun, yeah. Yeah, so I'm like, I'm like, why do they get mad at my, like – social media interaction like that's the only thing I could think of and uh I call him back and he and they break the news to me and it, it just was something that was so far like off of my mind that I didn't expect that like I didn't really even know what to think like people say they were shocked that seems to be a common thing that guys in my situation say I wasn't shocked it was like so it was like beyond that like I was like what like all right, what are you even talking about right now? You know what I mean? It was just so far off that I didn't really have any emotion when he called me. Um, um, but then, but then like later on, you know, I'm just, you start getting those, those feelings, whether it be, you know, it seemed to go in waves, whether it be like frustrated or angry or like confused. And then I started looking into it and, you know, I'm learning that basically like, like you said, how, how stupid this is. Mm -hmm. So, um, so yeah, it was a frustrating, frustrating time. 
I mean, I don't think I would ever, 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 ever ask anybody. So tell me about your, you know, your PED suspension. But this one is just like so out there. And, you know, people have had the same. Even one guy, I'm forgetting his name. You might know it uh, with the Washington Nationals sued Major League Baseball over this. Right. Um, yeah. Trace I mean, Barrera. That's right. Yeah. You yeah. Sued, sued Major League Baseball. And I mean, you even changed your number to zero to signify the number of right. games you thought you should have been, uh, been suspended. I mean, yeah. how difficult has that road been? Because, I mean, obviously you want to get your name cleared from this situation. Right. Um, for me, it has not been all that difficult from the sense of, like, mentality and, and like, emotionally dealing with it. Um, and I think that stems from me just speaking out, stating my case, being very clear. And, you know, I think if anyone who, and what helps me a lot is I'm able to lay it out and give a, a lot of information where people can kind of think for themselves and kind of look at this and be like, yeah, you got screwed over. And so I've really never experienced anyone really giving me a hard time anyone who's ever given me a hard time and has like looked into it and I'm like, Hey, go look, just go look at my two. In I have two videos on Instagram uh, here. Yeah. Plug right here. I have two videos on Instagram. Explain the whole thing. It's like 20 minutes worth of video um, under the IGTV tab. But um, yeah, anytime anyone's giving me a hard time and I'm like, Hey, watch these and tell me if you still think I'm a cheater, they watch them. They're like, yeah, you got screwed over. You know, it's, I, I think it's pretty obvious. So um, so yeah, it's something that needs to be changed. Hopefully, hopefully it will be changed here soon. I know a lot of leagues have already made adjustments. So this M3 metabolite isn't screwing guys over. So I'm hoping baseball is the next one. Yeah. I mean, that, I mean, you, it, it was obvious to, cause I watched the video. I did watch the video, but it was, it was pretty obvious to me that, cause there's a few things you could do. You could either admit, you know, Hey, I, I did this. I'm sorry to who I hurt. And then you could put out another phony statement saying, I didn't know what I put in my system, but no, you took the time to make a video and, you know, it, it was engaging. It was sincere. And, you know, everybody else, had, and the other guy, like I mentioned, sued baseball, tried to sue right. baseball. So, mm -hmm. I mean, obviously there's something going on here and, you know, how, how does this get fixed? I know you mentioned some of the other leagues have been trying to right. ban this, this loophole, I guess that PEDs, it's not even PEDs. It's, it's, I can't even call it that, but how does something like this get changed? What's yeah, the process so, and what's so the message that baseball's given you onto why it might not be changed? Yeah. So it's, it's hard to, so this is what makes it really tricky is we don't have answers as to why this, why guys are showing, you know, a couple trillionths of a gram of this one specific metabolite of this drug. And that drug is illegal like like not not like just from a sporting perspective it, in general like if you a non-athlete were to buy it that's illegal mm -hmm. you cannot have that and because of that they're not allowed to do any testing on it so we don't have any scientific information on it really and from my understanding i don't even think it's in production anymore so not only are you going to have to get it off the black market you're going to have to get off the black market and find someone who's somehow has a stash of it still stored because they don't even make it anymore it's ridiculous. Um, so because we don't have the, the objective science to basically explain what is happening, I think that's why you're seeing baseball be really hesitant about making this change. So what, so what change can you make? Because you don't want guys to get away with 
taking steroids, right? I think the, the answer is to, is to set a threshold, um, just like UFC has done. Uh, basically, basically put it at an amount where, hey, if you're under this amount, we know you're not getting any performance enhancing benefit. So the integrity of the game stays intact. And you also want it high enough where these guys who keep, for whatever reason, testing positive for these ultra trace amounts aren't getting punished because we don't, because, because we don't know what's happening. Um, and, you know, when I say high enough, I'm talking about like a 100 picogram threshold. That's one, 100, one trillionth of a gram. I mean, we're talking, it's still super tiny, super tiny. So, um, so yeah, I think I think it's just this is a result of the anti-doping world really doing their job, getting really good at it, and they're able to find these unbelievably crazy trace amounts of substances, which is great. I think we all would I think we all want that, the anti-doping world to be able to, you know, get to the bottom of things. But the problem is policies haven't kept up. So now we have guys testing for you know, a trillionth of a gram of something and getting suspended. And then it's like, Hey, the only way you get out of this suspension is if you can locate this one, one trillionth of a gram and tell us where it came from. And it's like, how, how the heck am I supposed to, to locate that? You know, a picogram, if you took a, a piece of table salt and split it in half, you would have to do that process 58 million times to get to the size of a picogram. I mean, it's, it's absolutely insane. So um, so yeah, I think a threshold needs to be set just to kind of satisfy both sides here. You probably drank like an expired Gatorade or something. And just, <laughs> <laughs> um, that's what, like I originally thought about it. So is this still, is it like still, could it pop up in your system? Like at any point, any time, is that still a worry? Um, it's not a worry for me anymore. Um, because well, I'm still testing positive mm -hmm. like in and out. Yeah. I've, I've test positive since my first positive test I got suspended I have been tested I don't I don't know maybe like I don't have the paperwork I'm gonna guess somewhere around six times and I think two of those six I've tested positive again or something like that or maybe one of four I don't know but I've definitely tested positive again since my original positive and they're not suspending guys the second time anymore um which is again it kind of goes back earlier i would like to see some consistent thinking it's like okay if you really think that this these guys are cheating why the hell aren't you suspending guys the second time third time then and it turns out we've learned that it could stay in your body and pulse so you could test positive your entire life maybe and it goes in and out and you don't know what you don't know we don't know when or why it's detectable at some times and undetectable at others which makes it even more ridiculous because it's possible that this was ingested by me at the age of 10. You know what I mean? We don't even know if this happened when I was subject to, you know, the rules of major league baseball, which, I mean, there's, <laughs> it's hard to find an aspect of this where it's not sketchy and fishy. And it's like, dude, what the hell are we doing here? No, it's, it's completely stupid. And I don't have a problem. I don't have a problem. expressing. <laughs> um, all right, let's wrap up here. But before we do wrap up, uh, I need a hot take for the ALCS here, and I'll give you one here. I, I say Zach Ranky throws like two shutouts and gives like three total answers after collectively combined after them. So what would what would you say? Give me like kind of a hot take, a prediction for for your Astros here oh, in the ALCS. Okay. 
All right. This this won't be a hot take for us in the Astros clubhouse, but I feel like it will be for the baseball world, especially after some some of stuff being stirred up there in the White Sox series. I'm going to say more runs, the Astros score more runs at Fenway than they do at Minute Maid. That, that's not bad. That's not bad. And also, I mean, <laughs> you mentioned the White Sox comments. Ryan Tepere is a middle reliever, and that, that's like all that needs to be said. Like, he's really good, I understand, but like, when you're a middle reliever to a team that just beat you, I mean, you got <laughs> to kind of be quiet just a little bit. So, yeah, Astros yeah. take the upper hand, and I favor them in this series. Uh, Boston kind of, I don't want to say outplayed themselves, but uh, they weren't projected to beat the Yankees, and they weren't projected to beat um, – why am right. I drawing a blank on who who they uh, – the Rays. The Rays. Sorry, the Rays. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, I think the Astros are for sure – uh, the favorite, and uh, just for the sake of uh, maybe you being there, we'll root for the Astros in the World Series. <laughs> love that, love that. <laughs> yeah, man, I appreciate you joining me. Uh, it's it's been a lot of fun. Yeah, thanks for having me. It was a good time. And you guys could follow Ken Emanuel on Instagram and Twitter. His handle is at Kent K E N T Emanuel A E M A N U E L. Uh, and you guys could follow the podcast on Twitter and Instagram at RizzoCast. Thank you guys for joining us and see you next time.